0: All right, um, we're in the latter part of chapter 1. <clears throat> I left these verses not knowing what the Lord was going to say out of them, but I felt like the last sermon was a complete enough thought, and I said I don't want to add more verses to that, and God gave us a word out of these last few verses without having to add chapter 2. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, it's up there. You know how we do on 3, let's read together. One, two, three. let's go. Amen, amen, amen for this third installment uh, in the book of Ruth. I would like to tag our text. You about to walk into something. That I, I, if, if, if it's all right, I want you to look at somebody next to you. Say, neighbor, I don't care what you're going through, but God has set things up for every now and then for you to walk into something. They're not feeling you. Look at the other person on the other side of you. Say, neighbor, they wasn't feeling me, but maybe you will. No matter what you go through, no matter how hard it gets, God sovereignly assigns the ability for you to walk into something. You ought to give him some praise right there. You ought to give him some praise. Living God, living God, I thank you that life isn't only suffering. I think sometimes in certain sectors of Christianity, we teach that Christianity is only suffering. And I'm not sure that's true. I think it's a part of our journey. And um, God, you don't owe us anything either. You don't owe us anything. Yet you are gracious enough (coughs) to give us things that remind us of your love for us. Remind us today of your love for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said. Amen. Amen. I mean that believer. I, I believe um, <clears throat> that all of life is not suffering. Um, no matter where what I read in even church history and no matter what I read in current affairs of Christianity, all of the Christian life isn't suffering. It's it's aspects of it that's a part of the challenge, yet we don't go the other extreme. We don't. We don't these are the two extremes we want to avoid. Y'all tracking with me, right? Yeah. There, there are two extremes you want to avoid. Say masochism. masochism. Christians aren't masochists. In other words, they believe that our life is only effective if everything's bad. Like, in other words, seeking, masochism is seeking pain, which is a form of adversiveness to the gospel because masochism seeks to redeem itself through its own suffering versus embracing christ's suffering as the redeeming formula for their life are y'all tracking with me (laughs) on the other end you have people that reject the fact that any type of bad ever happens which that is the prosperity gospel which most people think is christianity because it bombards us through uh the airwaves of tv and so there are those who say oh suffering of the devil and you gotta rebuke it, but you can't rebuke God when He's your problem. <laughs> and so and so and so when you when you look at that reality, there is this counterbalance though in the Christian life. Well I want us to begin to learn this as a community that's looking to be comprehensively faithful to the different type of seasons that God provides for the believer. The issue is is as you begin to the more and more you mature the more and more seasons you experience. And when those type of seasons come in varying different ways, your maturity strengthens you with the ability to relate well to those seasons. And maturity happens when you don't allow every season that God puts you through as a way and a mechanism to make you look more like Jesus and for you to know what it's like to say, how can I leverage where I am to see God more clearly? Matter of fact, if I don't see God in anything, I'm going to fight to see God in it. I I, 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 I want to know that there are always evidences of grace that I can look for even in the most challenging of circumstances, even the most broken of circumstances, even the most frustrating of circumstances. There is something that shows you providentially that God is at work. And so when we look at this text, I believe that it is helpful for us I believe that it's helpful for every man and woman who calls upon the name of the Lord who are experiencing God's redemptive work. Redemption just means God buying back things for his glory and our good. Let me say let me say that one, one more again. Redemption is God buying back things, reshaping and recycling it for his glory and our good. And we come to a passage where I think that there's some confusion. In this young lady's life, uh, this woman's life, who's experiencing some challenges uh, in this passage. And the way she is relating to God uh, doesn't uh, relay the big picture of her life. Ah, that's so good. In other words, she's only relating to God based on how she's experiencing that season. Not the big picture of what God is like all the time. In 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 other words... You, you got to be careful of reducing your theology proper. That's your understanding of God. You got to be careful of reducing your theology proper to your circumstances. Because what will what, begin to happen is that's how people remake God in their own image. Therefore there becomes an idol. Most idols come from people localizing God to what they went through and their emotional brokenness creates a false picture of who he is and therefore they spread the lie of that idolatrous disposition of his essence. And so when we come here to this passage, I'm not, I'm not fronting. All of us have felt like her. Let's not treat her like she's some different person though. No. You know, we're going to look down our nose at how Ruth is talking. And, 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 and if you've been through something hard enough to make you loosen your grip on Christ, you can relate to her. Yeah. I got one point. One point only. If we are going to recognize that you're about to walk into something, number one and only point, God has more for you than your pain does. God has more for you than your pain does. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. It says, the two of them, talking about Naomi and Ruth, um, traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi. This is beautiful. Um, this is beautiful here in so many ways. Beautifully challenging at the same time. You know that she has lost, over the last 10 years or more, she's lost her husband and two sons and a daughter-in-law. One clings to her and says, I'm, I'm your ride or die. That's how you sum it up, Hebraically. Uh, uh, um, um, I'm... Your ride or die. That's basically what she said. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you go, I go. In other words, you, you ever had somebody that you just can't get rid of? <laughs> Help me today. You you ever wanted to get rid of somebody because of how you were feeling? And them being around and their loyalty was annoying because you wanted to stew in your frustration? Oh, ain't nobody going to talk back. Y'all ain't, maybe y'all ain't been through nothing enough, hard enough to make you feel like that, where you just wanted to isolate. My introverted people understand exactly what I'm talking about. Cause <laughs> Because cause you normally like that, but your pain just takes you farther in the cave. You, you're on the edge of the cave, but then all of a sudden something happened. You back up in that mug and you you way up in there, right? That's what Ruth was. But, 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 but providentially, God loves her by showing that he didn't give up on her by giving him a ride or die. God always gives you a sense of his ride or die-ness. Oh, let me explain. Ride or die means somebody... Um, I see some of y'all looking at me. Ride or die just means, help me today. Ride or die just means, um, let me break, let me see if I can exegetically expose and explain the existential disposition of this reality. Um, uh, um, Ride or or die means somebody that just loves you no matter what and they'll go through everything with you no matter what. That's good right there. Matter of fact, that really describes what God is like. Now, that really describes what he's like in your life. Uh, um, you, you, you've been through some stuff where you gave up on you, but God was still holding on to you. He was still clinging to you. He was still, see, that's the beauty of the gospel. God doesn't give up on you even though you want him to give up on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because some of us say, leave me alone, God, so I can do what I want to do. And he said, I'm not going to let you get there. Help me, I can just stay there. I, 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 <laughs> his, his, his loyalty, his loyalty keeps you sane. His loyalty just keeps, I'm going to just tell you right now, his loyalty. I'm talking about no matter how mature you get, you go through something that wants to de you. I, I, I know I'm by myself. No matter how much you grow spiritually, you go through that one thing where you're saying, like, God, I thought I, like, graduated from this level of pain. Because many times we think we graduate and we earn less pain because we have been sanctified and atone ourselves out of sanctification. Help me today. Anyway, and so here in this passage, verse 19, it's beautiful. Um, She comes back into the town. Everybody's like excited. Excited, 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 excited about Naomi coming back in. And what's, what's interesting about the beauty of this, it shows you how well known she was. It says the whole town. I believe this meant the whole town. Bethlehem, was a sneeze through. It was one exit, you know? It was one of the one exit towns, you know, and you, you sneeze and you're through it. And as she's come to her town, everyone's coming out and they're like, yo, Naomi's returned and ladies are going to get other ladies, ladies are getting other, and they were like, she was gone. I don't know if they all had left and came back or they remained there through the famine. The Bible doesn't give us clarity on that. But what it does give us clarity on is there was something about Naomi that made her likable, that made her well-known in a way where other women felt very, very, other people felt very, very, very connected to her. And, 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 and they asked, could this be her? Uh, um, some translations said the city was stirred, was stirred in and of itself. In other words, so, uh, the idea is a peaceful state. Uh, and because of her name, means Naomi means Pleasant. And so it's like, oh, man, the aromatic expressions of God's grace on her life has returned. Now the environment is going to be even more pleasant because of who she is and how God rests on her life. However, the first thing out of Naomi's mouth wasn't to give the narrative of where she's been for 10 years. See, now I'm say, what you been doing you know, girl, you, I, let me just tell you, I've been through some hard stuff. The Lord has been good, And just going in, you know what I'm saying, explaining the beauty of that. That's one of the things I, I had to adjust to in being married. Women tell stories different than men. We just do. Men, we're going to be like, how was it? Man, it was all right. We understood all of the details just based on that. Ladies, y'all different, which we need to learn from. Y'all have a categorical, detailed ability to enter into the experience of helping others to enjoy that thing. She doesn't give, though. She gives a a non-feminine response to me in the sense of, like, she didn't go into the detail when we first got there and and just knocked that thing down. Like, I had to learn how, you know, to communicate with my wife when I came home. How was your day? It was good. It's good. She's, like, looking at me, like, mad. I'm like, what happened? And I had to respond to that, and, 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 and I had to learn how to detail my journey, which she doesn't detail her journey at all. She just gives an overview. And the first response to even something good, she gives a negative response to it. She says, don't call me Naomi. I mean, can you imagine the, that's the first thing out somebody's mouth when you're talking to them, whether male or female, well, as soon as you come up to them, they say, listen, I done changed my name. Usually in my community, when somebody changed their name, you know, they done got conscious somehow, you know. <laughs> call me, you know, you like, what you want me call you, man? What you been reading? You understand what I'm saying? You know, I don't know if they just like, Naomi, what you been reading? You understand what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Then 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 somebody called that's not my name, that's my slave name. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's all good. Some of y'all know. Some of y'all don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) But she says, don't call me Naomi. In other words, it's not that she didn't like the phonetics of her name. She disengaged herself from the definition of her name. She said, don't call me that no more, because that means something that's not real in my life. She said, that that doesn't mean the same thing my parents named me for it for, because if that was true, I wouldn't have gone through all I've gone through. That's what she's saying to herself. She says, call me Mara. In other words, call me bitter. Wow. Can you imagine someone telling you to call them bitter? comprehensively frustrated and closed. That's what she, when she says, call me Mara, she basically points, she takes a season of her life and paints her entire life by it. As if that's the only experience she's ever had. You, You have to be careful of letting a season mark your life. Don't ever become redemptively forgetful. Ugh, I'm alone in here. Um, Matter of fact, never let the enemy make your mind think that God's never been good to you. No matter what you're dealing with and if you're stuck, somebody say, well, Pastor, I've been stuck in a season. So what do I do about that? Like I'm stuck in a season that I really don't like. What do, you, what do you expect me to do in relation to that, in that reality of that season? In other words, this, she, she has locked herself down into Naomi 1.0. Be careful of letting your life be the 1.0 version of yourself. Because God has, God, God uses pain as a mechanism of upgrading you. Oh, help me today. I'm, uh, anyway, I'll wait till 11 o'clock. Um. It says, it says now, now what's interesting about this, I have a lot to say about bitterness, because I think we need to talk about this. Um, we talk about this idea of marah. It's actually the word for myrrh. Now, this is, in Hebrew, it's the word myrrh. Say myrrh. Now, if you know what myrrh was used for, it was an aromatic resin. You know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, when we, the Muslims used to be out selling incense and oils. Y'all remember that? Nobody, oh, I forgot, my, my bad. Some of y'all wasn't born, my bad. Um, well, if you're on South Street, and dude come up to you and try to, you ever had somebody try to wipe some oil on you? are like, man, I don't wanna smell like that right now. You, you ever seen a dude walk up to you, hey, try this out, wow. I'm like, man, hold on, bro. <coughs> we used to wear Blue Nile and uh, Indian, uh, we used to have, what, what was it, sandalwood, frankincense, myrrh. Nobody don't remember cool water, y'all don't remember that. Y'all don't know nothing about yope and all of that. Y'all remember that? Well, myrrh technically is used as embalming fluid. She says, call me embalming fluid. That's that's what she says here. She says, my bitterness has me as good as dead. that's, That's her disposition, that she has allowed a situation to subtract her value. And we know that Jesus Christ on the cross, his suffering didn't subtract his value. It actually showed his value. But she says, call me Mara. And it's interesting with the challenge of bitterness. One article from Christianity Today says, bitterness starts out small. An offense burrows its way into our hearts. We replay it in our minds, creating deep, ruts that will be hard to build back up. We retell our hurts to any available listener. Sound familiar? Including each sordid detail. <laughs> we enlist support pushing us further into our resentment. We hear the offended, offending person's name and cringe if it's that. We decipher the offense as interna- inter- international or of the offender as full of spite. And so when we look at this idea of bitterness, bitterness is the fermentation of anger. It's when you've had an experience, you deem it bad only because of the hurt, and you settle in, you're not going to allow anything out of this to be redemptive or changeable Because it happened to you, and it's marked you forever, and because it's marked you forever, you're going to stew in it forever. And what happens with that level and that ideology of bitterness is what it does is it functions and it destroys every single sector of our being, and as it begins to destroy the sector of our being, that's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, talks about the root of bitterness. When it roots down inside of us, it sprouts up and it defiles many, and so here, she's beginning to communicate her bitterness. A bitter person can't help but talk about it. Matter of fact, everything, all roads lead back to what hurt them. So when somebody's bitter, you're talking to them about something else and all of a sudden, it comes back to something that happened five years ago. He's like, we, went, we were talking about the game. Like, how do we end up back on your frustration with that person? And, and, and that's the challenge of bitterness. Is bitterness not covered by good understanding of God and and His Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ will always plant a flag in our brokenness that doesn't exalt Jesus but us? And, and, and when you plant a flag in your pain, that's bitterness. In other words, I'm not, I'm not going to pitch a tent here. I'm just here for a little while. No, I'm going to build a cul-de-sac up in this mug. All right, and so and so and so and so this reality and what 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 breaks my heart for her, so much, is what she does with it. She doesn't because bitterness always affects, like I said, your view of God. Look what she says. She says, "For the Almighty has made me bitter." <laughs> Let me explain something to you, family. God doesn't make anybody bitter. He either allows or causes circumstances to happen in your life. You, your response is what puts you in bitterness. But what we do is we say God did it because I became bitter because of what he allowed or caused me to go through. Obviously, he's the one that made me bitter, but the response is ours. The environment is where God wants to work. And so when you get out of the disposition of recognizing, like, God is at work, even in the confusion of your bitterness, even in the confusion of your pain, even in all of those different types of frustration. It's crazy. My father, my father was 93 years old when he passed. Um, um, And my dad wrestled with a lot of things. He wrestled with a lot of things. My dad, at, at his funeral, he would have wanted us to tell the truth, and we told the truth about how God redeemed him out of so many different things. And um, my dad, on his deathbed, was, was fearful. He was, uh, I mean, if you asked him to give you the gospel, he could knock the gospel out so quickly. But he was in World War II, Korean War, two Purple Hearts infantry. we talking about not a dude up somewhere cooking and doing communications. He was on, he was on the front lines. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not dogging anybody that does that. I'm just saying he was out there and because that's where they put particularly African-American men on the front lines. And so he was out there in that particular situation. And what was crazy is my dad, he, 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 he was like, I wonder if God will forgive me. And I was like, what you mean? He's like, all I see is the people I've killed. And I know Jesus Christ is Savior, but um, he was resting. He couldn't talk as well as he could. And over the years, he started, like, in his, in his latter years, he started opening up. we like, Dad, you ain't tell us none of this. I've been on the planet 44 years. You ain't told me these things, right? And then we understood his alcoholism back in the day because he was trying to utilize it to cover up so many things. His dad left. If, he, if you bring his dad up, and, and, and my dad would want me to share this. If you bring his dad up, my dad, he left at nine months old. So, my dad was 90 at the time. If you mention Theodore Mason that left Clinton, South Carolina to go to New York and leave him at nine years old and start a new family, let me explain something to you. My father would return to his childhood. And it was for, I mean, decades. It took him almost 90 years to find peace. Because he had parked in it, and he was trying to self-medicate it. And many of us in here, we may not have been through something as tumultuous, but many of us are going through something where we're trying to utilize functional saviors to medicate what only God can Im- immediately eradicate. And as you look at this idea of bitterness, she begins to blame God. She said, the Almighty did this. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the Almighty did this. It was crazy. Look at what it says here. And she says, the Almighty did this. This makes me think of a few things. Our challenges always exposes our actual understanding of God. You can read the new devotional books. You can read every systematic theology. From Armenian to Calvinists, the early church fathers, the anti-Nicene fathers, the Nicene fathers, the post-Nicene fathers, the African church fathers, the Roman church fathers—you Af- can read all, But you can read the Bible from front to back. But what exposes your ideology of God is how you process through your theology when you go through something difficult. You ever been through something? And you says, "I don't deserve this." It's quiet in here. I don't deserve this. That means you don't understand the gospel, <laughs> because we think at some point we've been good enough. I've been good enough to graduate from not taking this assignment. Help me today. In other words, I don't deserve all. Oh, I'm. 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 You know, I. I. I've, I. I've, I've, I ain't gonna lie. I've wrestled. I'm a good person. God knows my heart. <laughs> when you say God knows your heart, you're assuming something about your heart God doesn't. See, you assume that we're basically good. <laughs> Why is this happening to me? No, nobody's asked, asked that question. Why is God doing this to me? Gideon even dealt with the challenges of that. And the th- issue I'm saying is I'm not saying it's something wrong with wrestling through pain. That's not what I'm saying because the Bible gives us clear mandates to wrestle through pain. As a matter of fact, Hebrews, Hebrews said that Jesus Christ shouted cries because of he, what he went through. As he suffered and he was perfected through the things that he suffered, in his humanity, Jesus went through a sanctification process. So if Jesus had to wrestle with his pain on the cross, Elohi, Elohi, la my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He's wrestling, yet pushing forward. And then in the next breath, he's going to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is the ultimate example of not letting pain get you bitter. But letting pain have its work in you, but recognizing that that's not the end of the story. And when you left, leave our attitudes of this unchecked, it can lead to apostasy. What is apostasy? Abandoning faith. Me and a couple of pastor friends were engaging that ex-pastor dude. We've been, and I said, listen, bro, I'll pay for your plane ticket. And we'll sit down with you and your best debaters, and we'll sit down and talk to you through the faith. We wanna we wanna hear, we wanna hear, because at the end of the day, the guy that went, you know, the guy that went six million views for the all of that, we reached out to him, he responded, one of the guys talked to him. We we wanted to talk to him and engage him with the gospel again and challenge him. But but what, hap- what, what, what happened is and really the reason why I'm saying this is because it's online. All of our conversation is online. It was interesting. There was a back out disposition towards it. And he had some views about Christianity that was crazy. Saying crazy things about Nasea. Christianity started at Nasea. We engaged him and said, that's not true. He said, yeah, that's right. Then he goes to another spot and re-communicates it. I said, oh, this is not even about the right information. Know what this is about? Your bad experience. And you've let that bad experience be your Bible. And when you let a bad experience be your Bible then truth doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't even matter anymore. You see what I'm saying? And so, and so what we are supposed to not do is allow that to happen by the grace of Christ. It says in verse 21, what she says. Ah. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. This is warp thinking. Why didn't you say the Lord sent me out full? Like, so who, who sent you out full, though? <laughs> who sent you out full? Like, he brought you back empty. But who was the one that gave you the ability to experience the fullness that you could now notice the difference of because of your difficulty? The anytime, oh, help me today. When, when she said, I came back empty, she says, basically, I have no joy anymore. And I can't experience anything good anymore, even though, listen, I'm not fully in the same circumstances that I'm in. I'm just going to let those circumstances bleed over into wherever I'm going. But know what I love about this passage, even in the midst of this? She says, why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me? So that means they kept calling her Naomi. They wouldn't even, they was ignoring her. That's good friends. That's good friends. That's good friends. That's good friends. They like, say, we ain't going to call you that mess. We are not going to call you that mess. We're not going to let you change your name to some weird name that you don't even know the heritage of. We're going to call you by the name that you were birthed with because that's the name that you need to continue in. And yeah. <laughs> see, she, since he has opposed me in the almighty El Shaddai, she even used one of the sub-covenant names of God. She even theologically, El Shaddai, you know what I'm saying, sovereign, you know what I'm saying, she, she, he, he's done this. He's afflicted me, but what's ironic to me is this. Since Sonomi went back from the territory of Moab, it does a summary right here. This is a summary statement. From the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess, they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley season. Let me tell you something know how much God loves you. He doesn't wait for your bitterness to be over for him to bless you. Oh, y'all missed a crazy shout moment right there. <laughs> he doesn't Listen. Listen. This is how the gospel works. God comes to you, you don't come to him. Listen. God doesn't say, "Get right, then I'll engage you." That's beautiful. That's beautiful. He says, listen, I'll providentially even use your movements. Listen, her geographical movements was of her own initiative, but not knowing that God was providentially working in the midst of her movements, And yet, he can cause you, no matter what movement and what disposition of your soul that you are in, to meet you where you are and to help you to walk into something that redeems your heart from its hardened and broken and disturbing disposition. That's the beauty of being in Jesus Christ, is that Jesus Christ comes down. He doesn't ask you to climb up. He doesn't. He doesn't. That's that's the beauty. And so someone says, how do I get out of this? God has, God is initiated already, I guarantee you. He's initiated or is initiating something in your life to remind you that he's with you and he loves you. But right now, he's initiated. It may not be what you fully want yet, but it's a glimmer of light to remind you that your circumstances isn't your God, but Yahweh is your God. When you look at this, and she was inconspicuous, she didn't even know Jesus heard that the Lord had visited his people. That's what the text says. (coughs) But in the myth, oh God, help me not to shout. Um, God not only visited his people, he visited her. He visited her. Guess what he wants to do in your life. He wants to visit you. And the gospel, Christ's incarnation is the ultimate visitation. It's the ultimate visitation because this is a temporal visitation. Christ's coming is an eternal visitation, which he brings a harvest of eternal life and practical change in your life. And so my prayer today is that you won't park in your mess, but that you will, you will begin, if you're bitter now and if you're struggling now, that you will begin to look up and say, God, where are you active? It's interesting, throughout this book, the author never invokes the name of God. The name of God is only used within the framework of the story by those in the story. And the beauty of this, over and over and over again, as the book builds, we'll see more and more how much God loves us. We'll see see so much of how he loves us and is committed to us ferociously. I'm going to just say this one last time to you, and I'm done. Stop thinking that you have to do something For God to contact you. Stop believing that if I only give this up, he'll love me. Stop believing that only if I stop doing this, then God. Listen, God is so powerful in his commitment. It is the most confusing thing I as a human being can understand. Because I know I want to be done with people sometimes. But God in Christ never wants to be done with you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the beauty of Christ, who gives us glimmers of his everlasting love and grace and God. Maybe someone is here today and they don't know you and they need to recognize and have that reality instilled within them by trusting you as Savior.